the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 448 for Sunday, May 5th, 2013. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answers questions. We answers questions that we do. We also answer questions. We share tips and share cool stuff found here on a holiday that I'll call Geeko de Mayo, John. I'm Dave <laughs> Hamilton in Durham, New Hampshire. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> that's bad. And here in, oh, spring is just everywhere. Oh, man, the trees are flowering. The weather is, is yeah, I was just taking a stroll earlier today, but perfect weather. This, this is New England. You know what? It's funny. I, I said that to Lisa earlier this week, too, because um, we've had perfect weather pretty much, you know, a lot this week. I said, oh, I really love it here this time of year. This is you know, my favorite weather. I said that, you know, this is really a great time to be in New England. And she said to me, you know, uh, in San Diego, it's like this uh, all year round. Like, OK, thanks. Yep. Appreciate that. Well, on the one hand, I like it. But uh, on the other hand, the variety is is nice. Maybe not so much the hot, but the snow. I do like the, the snow in the winter I, and I, stuff. But uh, but but the thing I got to do is tell you who I am, which uh, in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. That's right. You are John F. Braun. Yeah, no, I agree. When we lived in Austin, in Texas, um, I missed the, the change of season. I mean, I grew up here in New England, obviously, and, and I really missed... Like, I like this time of year because it's a change. It's different from the winter and it's that nice kind of thing. But I also like when we have basically the same weather in the fall. But enough about the weather, right? Can we, uh, can we, can we go to, uh, can we start the show here? Mm -hmm. Am I allowed? All right. Sean writes, uh, hey guys, I finally have a question for you. I'm a developer and I work on both Mac and Windows. My Windows laptop is a new Dell, uh, which has a mini display port for its external monitor port. I have my 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro and the Dell hooked up to my 24-inch cinema display via a Kinex KVM switch, which handles mini DisplayPort. My problem is I like to have apps like MailPlane, ADM, TweetBot, etc. on my laptop's internal screen when it's hooked up to the cinema display. But if I switch away using the KVM to the Dell and then later switch back to the external display, all those apps migrate to the cinema display. Is there any app that will remember where Windows should be, what screen, what location, and what window size when they give when a given external monitor is plugged in and make it happen? And there is. Uh, in fact, there are multiple apps, Sean. Uh, and I, I racked my brain trying to remember the one that we had uh, talked about in the past and that I used to use when I had a MacBook Pro in my office, but I honestly couldn't remember it. However, I'm pretty sure it was an app called Stay. Uh, that's available in the Mac app store. If it wasn't, there are, that's still there, but, uh, but there's another one called display made uh, as well. So, uh, so stay or display made, we'll do exactly what you're asking for. They're smart enough to know. In fact, they're smart enough to know if you use one monitor at home and a different monitor at work, for example, they'll know that there's a difference between those two monitors and remember your arrangements, um, uh, differently, I should say. So there you go. That's that's how I call it, John. I'm with you. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, you know, it's a, but it's a good thing. You know, it's uh, it's a, a, a good question. And 
uh, a good thing to know about is more and more of us wind up using external monitors. So there you go. What do you got, John? I'm going to have to dig around here because I, uh, there's another one that comes, comes to mind here. So I'll, I'll try to do that while. Okay. Uh, you're, you're doing the next thing. Right now, I got to pick something up here in that uh, we should probably go to Tony. Yeah, go. Do you think? I, I, th- I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony asked this question and he, he actually got back to me, which is great. But anyway, so Tony is saying, hi guys, today's question. <laughs> not yesterday's, not tomorrow's, but today's question is, how can I read and write to NTFS partitions on the Mac? I have an external disk which is formatted as NTFS and I almost... And I always, I think you meant always, not almost. And, and I always use it on Windows, but sometimes I want to save things to it for my Mac here at home. Do you have any tips on how to do it? Regards, Tony. Yes. So number one, um, how can you read NTFS? Well, that, as far as I know, Dave, is still built into OS X, is the ability to read NTFS. And actually, let's step back a moment here. What is NTFS, you may ask? You read my NTFS. mind. NTFS. So first, NTFS. Um, this is a Microsoft, uh, I guess the best way to put it is a partition scheme uh, for yeah. a hard drive. Similar to, you know, so so you have um, uh, on the Mac, you have a few different ones here. Um, it, uh, what can we do on our Mac, Dave? Well, we can do That's HFS exactly plus, right? Right, so HFS is the base. So HFS plus, yeah. and, then and I wouldn't I call it a partition scheme. I would actually call it a file system. I mean, I realize it's a self-referential acronym at that point, but um, but that's what it is. Because a partition scheme is 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 one step above that, right? It's a way to uh, format a given partition. Right. I guess the best way. So so where you would see this, um, if I'm not mistaken here. So if you do highlight a hard drive on your machine and to do hold, do the whole get info here. Yeah. It'll, it'll list the format. So in this case here, I have Mac OS uh, extended journaled yep. is the format of my drive. Um, and I guess NTFS is just another type of drive format, but here, so the good news is that Mac OS 10 can read NTFS. Here's the bad news is that normally it cannot write it. And NTFS and is the default on windows now. Right. It is what Windows prefers to it, use. It's, it's what they suggest because you, you can incorporate uh, security and uh, I think it's mostly you, you, you can do finer grain security with NTFS versus something like FAT, FAT32, okay. FAT16, yep. whatever. Um, I guess th- those don't lend themselves to as, uh, as tight control over uh, security. Yeah, not nearly as tight, actually. Right. But it's more common and especially like, you know, flash drives and stuff, I think typically are in FAT32, which is nice because then you can bop between different machines. Totally. Uh, so the advice here is that, well, there are two options, Dave. So one is you can do the freebie. And I actually found an outstanding blog entry here. Um, so as I started doing research, I found someone who had already gone through the steps that I was going to go through. Uh, it's Sam Alston's blog. All right. And he's and the title of the post here, which is fairly recent, February 14th, 2013, is Write Support for NTFS with Mac OS X Mountain Lion. Okay. Perfect. Well, that's pretty timely. Uh, and he goes through the steps here and uh, at a high level. Uh, of course, we'll link to this uh, in our notes here. But you want to get first something called Mac Fuse, which is a, a open source deal that lets you manipulate the i guess the file system of drives or load in different ones not just the standard ones then you download and install something called ntfs 3g which i guess bolts onto that then you got to get some 
a, a bug fix, then you got to get another bug fix and then open this utility. And then <laughs> so he goes through all the steps here. So that's the hard way, but it's the free way. And then, Dave, the other one that I found here, and, and you and I have known about this for a while, and I, I think they, uh, I wasn't aware that they made a breakthrough here as far as pricing, because I consider this a breakthrough in pricing, but uh, Paragon Software often comes up and they make something called NTFS for Mac. And the current product is called NTFS for Mac OS 10, 10, which I guess is version 10 of their product, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, Dave, I didn't know this, but. So first, I believe you can get a 30-day trial of this, but Dave, it's only 20 bucks. I seriously seem to recall it being a little more expensive, but I'm looking right here at the link, and it says here, actually, it's $19.95. It's not even $20. Wow. that No, it's definitely cheaper than it used to be. I, and I'm I think that drove that a lot too. of people away. I mean, yeah. for me, Dave, I mean, to get NTFS functionality for 20 bucks, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But I think in the past, it used to be more, maybe 50, 60, 70. I, I thought so, it was uh, too. Yeah. And it's fast. And, and, and yeah, that's the thing is that, it, yeah, it is um, a commercial product. It, the, the free product, yeah, that's the only downside. The free product is slow, but it's free. So there you go. So if, if you got 20 bucks and NTFS writing is important to you and reading, I guess, yeah. then uh, right, right. then uh, that's the way to go. And I actually wrote back and he said, yeah, he got the trial and it's great. And I think he, he already threw down the money for it because it's it's. I'd you say know, this, I, that's I've, the best way to go. I've always stayed Paragon. I think they even sent us um, free codes for it and I never installed it uh, other than just to test it. But I always felt like, wow, you know, I don't want to rely on a file system and I realized I wouldn't use it as my main file system, but I didn't even want to like get in the path of um, using a file system like this. That's not directly supported by my Mac. You know, the last thing I want is to have data on a disc that I can't access because I don't have some third party software or, you know, OS 10 lion or, you know, OS 10, whatever it is, Russian blue 10.9 comes out and now Paragon doesn't work or whatever. And they've been good about it. It's not, I don't mean anything about them, but just, you know, third party software to get at my data scares me. But, um, but you make a good point. OS 10 for a long time now has been able to read NTFS. No problem. You just can't write to it. So maybe I need to rethink my, uh, my, my hesitation on NTFS uh, these days. I, I, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. That's the, the foray into the, the thought train of Dave Hamilton, whether you wanted it or not. Great. Now the other thought here is that what if you want to go in the opposite direction and they have a product for this as well? I don't know if you were thinking, John, is there some, <coughs> excuse me, but there must be windows people that want to read HFS, right? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, totally. You would imagine. So, yeah. uh, and actually I look right here, huh? Look at this. Now these guys have, uh, wow. Okay. So they have another product called HFS plus for windows, full uh, access to back HFS plus from windows. Because as far as I know, windows in no way, shape or form supports HFS. It's just like, huh? Right. Right. Or I haven't tried it lately, but this product is also 1995. So uh, what a deal. Awesome. Okay. So yeah. I got to say, and I, I, I haven't heard any negative things about these guys other than that no. they charge money for their products. Okay, but that's not a, that's not <laughs> a negative. That, right. And that looks to be less of a problem now. Cause again, I think you and I recall their products being uh, uh, pricier. Yeah. So yep. they're, they're not one, but two answers. Awesome. Good stuff. That's a, uh, well, that's a wrap. Let's uh, let's, let's do it. It's time for dinner, right? We have more answers. Oh, we well, do. We have more questions and oh, more answers. That's what happens. But 
not just that, Dave. I think we have a we have a, we have sponsors and uh, and they help make what we do here possible. So it is important for us to tell you about them. And I love the stable of, of all of our sponsors that we have now because it's it's stuff that makes sense for the show, uh, things that make sense to talk about and things that we're happy to talk about. And uh, and very squarely on that list is smile at smilesoftware.com with text expander. Uh, text expander is one of, you've heard me say this before, but it truly is. It's one of those apps. I cannot live without, uh, on pretty much any Mac I use. It's if I set up a new Mac, you know, reinstall OS 10 and put, uh, you know, start using it within probably an hour. I will have installed text expander because I just can't live without it. Now you ask, what does it do? Well, text expander in a nutshell allows you to take long uh, snippets of text, but they don't have to be that long. They can be anything. Uh, you can do a phone number. You can do an address. You can do five paragraphs. You can do three pages um, and put them in text expander and then assign a tiny little shortcut to it. And when you type the tiny little shortcut, it's automatically replaced with whatever your uh, other text was. Now this doesn't have to be just text. You can have formatting in there. You can have images in there and, uh, and you can have, uh, form fields. So I have conditionals like, for example, uh, my email signature. Sometimes I want to sign my email with my cell phone and sometimes I want to sign it with my office phone. And so I could create two separate signatures to do that. But now I can create one signature. And when I type it, boom, it comes up and I've got it to give me a drop down and I pick which one I want and off it goes. Uh, I use the same thing for, in fact, for the chat room here. When we finish the show, I want to put a little note uh, as the header in our in our chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream that indicates when we're going to be back for the next show. And so I do this and now I have uh, it, it creates the text for me. But I have, I believe, three fields that I can fill in one with the date, one with the time and one with the show number that it's going to be. So the next one, of course, would be, you know, four, four, nine. And it just makes it so easy because it's stuff I have to type regularly. I don't want to have to think about typing. It totally saves me from uh, making typos and it makes sure that the data is right. You know, I, I've said it before, John, sometimes people say, I want to send you guys, you know, X, Y, or Z for review. What's John's address? Well, I don't have your address memorized. I have mine memorized, but it doesn't mean I like to type it. So I have both of our addresses in there and I can just pop them out and make it work. So it's definitely a cool thing. Definitely a cool um, way, a, a great tool to, to get your work done. And it's, uh, as I said, one I couldn't live without. So I'm very happy to have them here as a sponsor. Go check it out. Smilesoftware.com. Uh, you can download a free trial from there and, uh, and test it out. And I highly encourage you to do that. And then when it's, uh, when you've decided that you can't live without it either, and I'm sure you will take 35 bucks Go back to Smile Software, buy it. You'll get a nickel back, $34.95. Text Expander is yours. You're a happier person. SmileSoftware.com. And we'd like to thank them. All right, John, what's next? Oh, we got this one next, don't we? Uh, all right. Let me pull up Mark's question here because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, well, you know, because it's fun. Home networking, of course. It is home networking. That's right. So Mark writes, he says, I'm considering upgrading the Ethernet switch for our home network. When we built our house in 2004, 
We installed Ethernet cable, so we have 22 Ethernet outlets spread around the house. Up until today, our 8-port switch was sufficient, but with the addition of a second Apple TV, there are no longer any free ports anywhere in the house. Our network now consists of our DSL router, etc., etc., etc. It had been convenient to have an available port for a laptop to do software upgrades, file transfers, etc. over a wired connection versus Wi-Fi. For what it's worth, our current switch is a D-Link 8-port gigabit switch a quick look at amazon and monoprice seems to indicate that the next step is up to 16 ports is this the case any shopping tech advice you could offer would be greatly appreciated okay uh so let's let's go through first this. go ahead uh, uh, i just made an observation here and I'm, I'm a bit confused at the beginning here so it says we have 22 ethernet outlets yeah that, that good. Are, are you reading this as that he has the potential to have 22, a 22 port uh, switch. Not that such a thing exists, but right. are, are you getting what I'm saying here? Yeah. Are these so, ports all individual ports where if he had a switch with more ports, then everything would be great. He has a, a, in 22. And then right now he has an A port switch. Correct. In 22 different places in his home, he has an ethernet jack on the wall and every one right. of those ethernet jacks all snakes back to one place, right. one so central ideally, location. We should have a 22 port. Uh, if someone made a 22 port switch, that would be the ideal right. solution. Yeah, okay. be- because he could then plug all of these in and all of them would be live. But right now he's only had uh, he's only ever used eight simultaneously. And so he plugs those eight into the switch and he's really been using seven with one extra. And he's presumably made that okay. extra somewhere that it's convenient for him to plug in a laptop. All I got to say before you answer the question is hats off for wiring your home with all those ethernet ports. That's brilliant. It is brilliant. <laughs> That's something everybody should do. It totally is. And it's cheap when you're building totally cheap when you're building. Cause so. I'm saying doing it after the fact, especially like I have an older house here um, built Bad. at the beginning of the 1900s is installing anything like central air conditioning. Forget it. Or You'd be surprised. I suppose I could. Well, actually, you know, in my house, I do have RG, whatever cable running to every room that it was wired with both phone line, which is essentially useless, but it's also every room has a cable connector. So, so at least somebody was forward in that respect. Anyway. So, so uh, yes, the next step up would be a 16 port switch and the pricing increase. It's not debilitating, but percentage wise, it's a pretty big step. You sometimes you can buy two eight port switches cheaper than a 16, and then from the next step up, which would be enough for for our friend Mark here, is to a 24 port switch. And that then gets even more expensive. You can you know it. And it's it's because of the way the tech works. Uh, but 16 ports is still relatively affordable. But I will throw out the option. You already have an eight port switch. You could buy and we're going to explain why you might want to do this or why you <sighs> might not. But you could buy a second eight port switch. And bridge the two together by plugging an Ethernet cable between the two switches. Um, You sacrifice some performance, which I'm going to explain, but you can save. Well, depending on how you set it up. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. You sacrifice some performance, but you can obviously save some money because you already have one eight port switch and the performance might not be an issue. So the best way I can explain the way a switch works is to first explain its predecessor, which was called a hub, uh, a hub. And I'm going to call it a hundred megabits per second, but the same would apply to gigabit. If there was such a thing as a gigabit hub, but, but the, the, the philosophy and the, 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 the science is the same. 
uh, a hundred megabit hub had 100 megabits of bandwidth to share amongst all of its ports. So a four port hub had a hundred megabits of bandwidth to share an eight port hub had a hundred band, hundred megabits of bandwidth to share. So back to our four port hub. Uh, if you have that and you plug in four devices and device number one is talking to device number two, that will happen theoretically at 100 megabits. But if then while that, while one and two were talking, if device, the device plugged into three wanted to talk to device number four, that connection would eat half of the bandwidth from the first one. And now each of them would be essentially sharing that hundred megabits. So, you know, 50 megabits per second for each of those uh, two connections with a switch, each port. And we're going to go with a hundred megabit switch just to keep our well, math. The same. I think it was even worse, Dave. Yeah, it was, it was, but, hubs, yeah, but hang on, hubs. hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me get through this. And then oh, if you want to get esoteric oh. about it, we can, but I'm, I'm trying to stay, <laughs> well, I'm trying to stay simple here uh, because you're right. There's more to it than this, but I'm, I'm trying to sort of get an overview uh, with a switch. Each port, has a hundred megabits and a hundred megabit switch has a hundred megabits dedicated to it. That means in the aforementioned scenario, each connection would be able to talk at full hundred megabits. Same is true of a gigabit switch. So each connection could have had a gigabit of bandwidth. Most connections that we're doing don't get to a gigabit worth of bandwidth because the place from which you're getting data from or sending data to, which a lot of times is going to be hard drives can't pump data out that fast. Some can raid units and things like that, but otherwise, no, they can't. So what you could do is if you take that, you could plug, a, as I said, a cable from your existing eight port switch into a new uh, switch. Now a new eight port switch. Now that means that you've taken one port out of each switch. So you're, you're now down to 14 ports. And if you're smart about it, you can say, Hey, uh, the things that need to talk to each other a lot I'm going to put on one switch or another and limit the amount of uh, things that are going to need to talk, talk from switch to switch. And your bandwidth is going to be pretty good. Each the switch, the bridge between the switches still gets a full gigabit. But, you know, if you've got uh, three things constantly talking across that, well, then now they're each limited to 300 megabits. So but it, even that might be enough. And for most of us in our home networks, it's fine. My home network is probably uh, six, eight port switches um, spread all around because of convenience. And it's what I had. And I never have a problem because it's just the way it works. So I, I just get the, if I were in your shoes, I'd get another eight port switch. They're cheap. You can get them for like 20 bucks and, uh, and you're good to go. So there you go. Now you want to get esoteric, John? It's all yours. Thank you. I don't, I don't like that word. No, the only thing I'll say is that a hub is that a hub was one of the first devices. And at the time it seemed clever, but the problem with a hub, uh, to try to crystallize it, a hub, the problem is that when it gets data and it tries to send it to other people that are plugged into it, it sends it to everybody. It broadcasts it and that's mm. dumb, but that's how hubs work. Right. Right. Um, switches. The, the, I will point out one thing before we get too and esoteric. It, you're not going to buy hubs anymore. No one, they don't even sell them. So it, it's, yeah. And yeah. if you, and if there's one sitting around somewhere, I mean, it, it's better than nothing, but, but the, the, the only point I want to make is that hubs, as you start increasing usage, because they're not smart enough to direct traffic between two individual ports. And that's the basic problem. Yeah. A hub doesn't know how to do that. A switch does. 
You'll still have broadcast packets, which a switch will say, okay, well, I'll broadcast it to everybody. But if a switch sees traffic from one port to another, it's not going to broadcast it to everybody else. And that's the problem with the hub. So stay away from hubs, I think, is the yeah, <laughs> general well, advice here. Yeah, you're going to do that anyway. I just, I really wanted to use it to, to explain how the switch works. So you know what the limitation is of your, of bridging the, the eight port switches. You're putting this one gigabit link between oh. the two switches, which is plenty fast. Well, I think you, you laid it out properly is that the, the, the only bottleneck is potentially if there's tons of traffic going between one switch and the other. Yeah. But, you know, if you've if, got if there's a lot of local traffic, then then it's a good decision. I, I would still just get a, you know, a 16 port one over 24. But yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, it's again, but if funds cheaper. are tight, then then yeah, then bridging two is, is good. It's fine. Yeah. All right. All right. Ralph. Um, and I, I will answer a question. In fact, first I'll say hello uh, to everyone in our, our hello. chat room. <laughs> hello. Hello. Uh, to everyone in our chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream. Uh, and I'm not going to pronounce your name cause it's got numbers and letters, but, uh, in the chat room asks, uh, aren't a switch and a router, the same sort of thing, or are they totally different? Mm. Um, a router typically has a switch built in. You'll see oftentimes, you know, a router with a four port switch. If it has four Ethernet ports, it's a, it's it's got a switch built into it. The old airport uh, extremes, the or the airport ex, uh, uh, base stations didn't have a switch in them. They had one port and you could then plug that into a switch if you chose. But um, but the new ones have, you know, four ports or whatever. So that's that's well, there you go. Well, to me, a router. Includes an additional level of intelligence that a switch does not. Oh, well, the router is a separate thing. And then the router sometimes has a switch in it. Yes. The router does. Well, they you, all have yeah. to. Yes. Well, and they, they don't, do port to port. No, they traffic. don't. They don't have to. That's what I'm saying is the first airports really? did not have a switch in them. No, they had one ethernet port. That was it. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, That's all. But all modern yeah. ones, but, but the, the, yeah, but there's different functions here is that. Yeah. Switch, totally. A switch is dumb. It doesn't have to do any, uh, Dumb, a router dumb has, switches a, has a higher level of, I guess to me, the thing that a router does is that it, it, it involves at least an additional level of network translation that a switch doesn't. Absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah. Because it's taking your network traffic and routing it, you know, over your cable modem or your DSL or whatever it's doing. That's right. And from the chat room, how much better is Ethernet than Wi-Fi? Ethernet is always better. So. <laughs> well, No. I mean, just giving a quick answer here. Yeah, but it's not true. If you need a wireless connection <laughs> to your, if you need to get your iPhone online, Ethernet sucks because it yeah. can't do it. You know, so there you go. But as far as the speed, though, actually, I hear yes. about the 802.11 AC is coming out, and that's uh, a we'll call it gigabit wireless. Oh, okay. I've had it for a and long it's time. Not quite we gigabit, talked about it's close. We talked about Buffalo's. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's good. I've got so there. it's still a beta draft thing, but yeah, it's coming, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just all don't right. have any clients for it. Yeah, I want to hear what Ralph has to say. I think we all do. So Ralph yeah, says, hey, guys, I'm a new I'm a new listener, a lifelong geek. Outstanding. And I love your show. Listen to every episode. I bought a new MacBook Pro in December. 16 gigs RAM, 2.3 gigahertz Core i7 running Mountain Lion 10.8.3. I love this machine. I like my Macs to run well. However, I'm having some issues when it wakes from sleep, when I open the lid for security purposes, I have the login screen enabled uh, when the machine has been sleeping for only a short time and normally fires back up. No problem as responsive and snappy as I would expect and want from a brand new MacBook pro with plenty of hard drive and Ram. 
But when the machine has been asleep for many hours, such as overnight, about one out of four times, it stumbles on waking up. Screen is frozen black. Keyboard trackpad unresponsive. Uh, the light on the front body goes solid as opposed to the sleeping pulse, but nothing else. Some, sometimes the login screen will appear after many seconds, but it too is usually frozen at first. I even had the login appear frozen, then go back to black, then reappear. <laughs> Some other crazy stuff there. But I think that summarizes that he's having problems. He, he's having intermittent wake-up problems. Mm-hmm. My response to him is one item, but then I have another in the back of my head here. But I basically said, hi, Ralph. It sounds like resetting the SMC is a good place to start because in the list of symptoms listed in Apple support article, Intel-based Macs resetting the system management controller, one thing they refer to is why you'd want to reset the SMC is that you're having problems sleeping or waking up. So that's really what I had. Yeah, I would. It's the first thing to do. Um yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, hopefully that's it. This is one of those things that, you know, a, appears to be a hardware issue. And when that happens, SMC reset and even a PRAM reset is the right thing because that can all often I solve was, those things. I was going to suggest that the only thing, Dave, is that PRAM. I don't know if PRAM has anything to do with power management it, settings. It doesn't, but it doesn't hurt. That's all. Oh, I, yeah, I, I agree, I agree a, with you. It probably won't do anything. Because yeah. I was going to suggest it, but I held back because, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, resetting the PRAM certainly can't hurt. I think the worst thing that will happen is you may uh, upset the date time. Yeah, but that gets you know, set automatically. Yeah, now it does. But yeah. if that's now, broken, right. then. Yep. Well, we've got uh, so, Macworks. Chris uh, from Macworks in the, uh, in the chat room says his retina on 10.8.3 started having issues with waking up in the morning. Genius Bar told him to turn off Time Machine, and that mm-hmm. worked. So, which tells me it could be part of the. Um, oh, how come I can't think of the name of it? The 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 sleep thing where it runs Time Machine and things like that in the while the computer's asleep. Power Nap could be an issue with Power Nap. Uh, so definitely try that. That's a good. That's a great uh, solution. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, good stuff. And then another one. Yeah. So we're just knocking him out of the park here. So Go. Uh, Richard, I think uh, we, we want to do Richard. Yeah, more 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 sleep problems. <laughs> Everybody has sleep problems. Yeah, you know. Uh, good morning, guys. I have a question on my MacBook Pro mid-2012. I received this laptop in fall of last year from work. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> Must be a cool, cool place to work. And I have been putting it to sleep most of the time, either by keyboard shortcut or by closing the lid. Up until about a month ago, whenever I would wake it from sleep, it would essentially immediately recover from sleep and I would log in and be on my way. About a month ago, the MacBook Pro is acting differently. More times than not, when it recovers from sleep, the screen is grayed out and you can see the desktop, but it's milky, if you will. A progress bar will show at the bottom and it will take about 30 plus seconds to fully recover so that I can type my password. What could be causing this change in behavior? I've shut down from time to time throughout this and I've not changed it. Any help would be appreciated. Dave, I think I know exactly what the problem is. I don't know why it happened, but I know what it is. Yep. <laughs> and I think you do too. Yep. <laughs> but you're going to let me go with it. Somehow your machine is now waking from hibernate mode. What is hibernate mode? And I believe this is the way the Mac is initially 
configured when you get it. So on portables, what happens is when you put the machine to sleep, what it actually does is not just goes to sleep, but it will take the contents of RAM and write it out to the hard drive. And then when you wake the machine, it will read the data back, which is nice because if your machine sleeps and then power is mysteriously removed, whatever you've done or whatever is stored in RAM will be gone. So hibernate is good, but the bad news, as we observed here, is that it takes time to both accomplish and uh, recover from when you wake the machine up. So that's what happened, Dave. Yep. Uh, in my professional opinion, is that yep. the machine somehow thinks it should be hibernating and it should not. And I found another wonderful article here. This is from Thorn Laboratories. I'm finding these really cool blogs, man. Yeah, these that's problems cool. Here. And basically, it's some guy uh, so, uh, or laboratory here saying, uh, well, here's uh, something on how to change the hibernate mode with PM set. PM set is power management set. Yeah, I think so. That's something in the command line. But basically, you can both read it and set it. And they suggest and the suggestion here is you should set it, I believe, is zero. Is that right? Will not back up memory right? to persistent storage is what's listed here. Well, so zero is the mode you want. And I think what the mode it's in now is three, which is where it writes stuff out to disk before the machine that, sleeps. That's right. That's right. In fact, I think we I think we covered this at TMO too. I think we covered something about I was looking for PM that. set. Well, we did in the the well, comments. Well, there was a more detailed one that talked about how PM set can tell you why bad things happened later. Right, but then there's this other one where um, Oh, I missed it. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. We'll it list was, that one instead. Well, we'll list them both. It, there was a a thing about um, it was a more of a discussion in the comments about troubleshooting a, a Mac that wouldn't wake from sleep, but. But it's it's all there. We'll we'll relink to all. OK, of no, I saw that one, though. In yeah. this case, the machine woke. It just woke slowly. Right. So right. maybe we should yep. update that article. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Now, I don't know how it happened. And that that causes me minor concern is how did the machine all of a sudden decide it should sleep? Unless you maybe played recently with something like smart sleep, which uh, if you want a commercial uh, now commercial solution to manage your sleep and hibernate, then I would certainly recommend that smart sleep is cool it it's what's cool about it is uh, it's a utility that runs on your mac and it changes the sleep mode uh per your settings to uh depending on how much battery is left and and some other factors so you can be in don't ever hibernate mode but right if you get to the point where there's you know only five percent of your battery left then it changes to hibernate mode and it can do some cool things so yeah yeah definitely worth and I found that useful, Dave, because especially when your machine gets close to the edge as far as battery life. Yep. I, I found in some occasions throughout my Mac, uh, especially Mac portable history, sometimes the machine doesn't guess right and it may shut down. Well, it, by default. <laughs> Before it knows to sleep. Yeah. You, yeah oh, if totally. The, if, if the calibration is off and I've had this happen and that's unpleasant. So that's where hibernate is better than, you know, the machine just shutting down without sleeping anything because then you you're starting from scratch so. right well what what happens is every time your mac goes to sleep your laptop goes to sleep i should say uh it's different for desktop macs but when it, when your laptops go to sleep i believe this default behavior uh, will save the hibernation image every single time but it won't hibernate unless it's uh you know unless the battery is really really low and then it'll hibernate to to save the battery but saving that hibernation image takes time and also, of course, disk space because it saves an image that equals the amount of RAM that you have, not the amount that you're using, 
but the amount that you have. So if you have, you know, eight gigs of Ram in your laptop, it's an eight gig file that's being written out every time you sleep your Mac. And that may or may not be necessary. And that's what smart sleep can, can take care of for you is, you know, sort of managing that, that process. So, yeah, it is good. It is good. All right. All right. I'm passing the baton to you, my friend. I tell you what, we're moving, uh, we're moving fast here. It's good. It's good. Um, it's a Sunday night. It's how we do this. Michael writes, being a researcher, I meticulously organize websites that I bookmark. Basically, I categorize websites into predefined subject folders. The main subject folder is located on Safari's bookmark bar. Currently, I have 10 folders. However, I have hundreds of websites now located within these folders and subfolders. I'm looking for some way to better organize these. For instance, in the finder, I can add color to files and assign specific names to each color. Or is there a way to locate specific websites I have previously bookmarked? Basically, I need a better way to manage bookmarked websites. All right. Yeah, there's a couple of them out there. Um, sort of the, the old standby is one called Earl Manager at earl-manager.com. Um, and, and that's been around for a long time. I'm not convinced it's the best. I, I will say that I don't use any of these. Um, so, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it will be up to you to decide which is best for you, as always. Um, another one that comes up quite a bit uh, is called, is it pinsapp.com? P-I-N-S-A-P-P.com. And that one looks cool. It looks very current, has kind of a, a you know, a, a very modern looking interface and uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, but the one that really seems to float to the top is called Webla at Selmaro.com, C-E-L-M-A-R-O.com. And it's way more visual than than the others from what I could tell. So uh, and I'd never heard of that one at all until I started searching. But it seemed the people that use it seem to love it. So uh, so I, re- you know, I recommend you check those those three out. That's that's my thought. Do you have any thoughts on this one, John? I was looking for some online ones, Dave. Mm-hmm. Actually, I found a few here. Okay. I think that could be a solution. Actually, I found something here called Google Bookmarks. Oh, my gosh. Google's doing everything. They'll, uh, yeah, but they'll cancel that service. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they could. Mm-hmm. And then Delicious. I think you may have heard of that. Mm. Is that what it's called? That's another online one. So I'm thinking an online bookmark manager may be uh, something to consider. Because yeah. it sounds like if you rely on bookmarks a lot, you may want to have them not local I mean, of course, the, the, the nice thing is that if you have iCloud, your bookmarks can be stored. And actually, I take advantage of that as sure. a, you know, I have, uh, you know, my mini, my MacBook Pro and my iPhone, of course, because they're all tied into iCloud. I have my Safari bookmark list uh, synced among all of them. So that's uh, another thing to consider. This Webla uh, thing not s- works with Delicious. So it uses Delicious to sync mm. its bookmarks. Right. But, it, it you know, it's a it's a more integrated manager, I guess, is the is the concept. So. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Are we good on this one? I think we're great. Well, not great, but yeah, pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, something, you know, we were talking about time machine and how I've been uh, having headaches with it. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of getting sick of time machine, John. Um, it, it's good, but it causes me uh, a lot of, of headaches these days. And, you know, it's sort of my, my, it's not my main backup. Um, it's, it, it's, well, I'm tired of the more than more. Uh, I'm tired of the messages saying, ah, oh, it's broken. You're going to have to start from scratch. Exactly. I, I've seen that more and more often. And it, it, 
and, and the concerns me and the yeah right you get that or you get the um or you get the message that says uh sorry your disc your time machine is full and then you gotta you know manage this stuff it's a headache it it for for what for me is sort of my last line of defense and i've always just left it on because it's there in the os but it's um it's gotten to be quite a headache so uh so i am very happy uh therefore to have this uh next sponsor on board because uh it's good to have something else uh that does some of what time machine does and, and perhaps even more. And that is crash plan. Um, and uh, crashplan.com slash MGG is where you would want to visit uh, because you get a deal uh, that I'll explain at the end. But crash plan is at its core uh, built to be an online backup uh, system. And you run an app on your Mac and it goes through your Mac and packs everything up to back it up. And it backs it up to crash plans cloud. It does it securely. You can choose your level of security. Uh, you can use your own key that they don't have access to and would never be able to get at your data, whether you want them to or not. And that's an important thing. Or you can use their key, uh, which is protected by your password. But uh, they could get at your data if you wanted them to. And that could be helpful if you lost your key. Uh, but uh, but the idea is you install this on your Mac. And it goes through and it backs uh, stuff up. And then as you make changes to your data, it backs those up too and keeps versions and all of that good stuff in the cloud. You can pull your data back down to your same Mac, a different Mac, uh, or even to your iOS devices with their iOS apps. And, uh, and it's, you know, I've been using crash plan for, well, I just had to renew. So well over a year uh, because I had a little demo account going and then I, then I got a real one and, and here we are. So um, it's, it's, it, w the, what's cool about it is you can use it on uh, their multi-platform that you, know, you could use it on your windows machines. You can use it on your Mac. You can even use it on Linux, although I'm that's supported in a limited capacity officially they're actually totally cool with you using it on limit linux but i have to tell you that you know their official support for it is not entirely is is not there but i have actually had them give me support for it on linux and they didn't know that i was you know me so they treated me like they would have anybody else which i which is kind of how i like to deal with customer service uh great stuff and and then they've got this cool thing where you can do uh, backups to you, you could actually use it to backup locally. So I could have, you know, I could hang a big fat drive off of one of my Macs here at home and have all of my Macs backup to that locally. So now it's going faster because it's not going over the internet. And also my data is being kept here at home, but I could also have John back up to that big fat drive or John could set up a drive at his house and I could back up to that at his house. And you can do this. You can have multiple backups going all from the same crash plan setup. Really easy to use, uh, has been very reliable for me. And, uh, and I'm happy to have them on board as a sponsor. I would actually recommend them whether they were a sponsor or not. And I love to be able to say that. And, uh, and that's crash plan. But if you visit crashplan.com slash MGG, you'll actually get 15% off a one year subscription. And depending on how many computers you want to back up, uh, you know, that could, that could save you quite a bit of money. And so, I highly recommend you check it out. Crashplan.com slash MGG. Anything else, John, on that one? I know you you uh, are on and off a Crashplan user, but uh, 
I'm off right now. You're off right now. When it was on, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. And it, it gives me that versioning that I didn't get with the, or that I, that I will miss when, when I don't use time machine on on at least half of my computers right now, time machine is non-functional and hasn't backed up for months because it's like complaining, like you said about, you know, it's corrupt or there's not room or it's like, come on, this is supposed to be for everyone to use. I have to be more of a geek to use time machine and keep it working than I do to use crash plan. <laughs> I, I, that's serious. I mean, I, you know, I know they're paying us to talk about crash plan, but that's true. It's just, I, you know, that's just, that's a statement born of frustration, not of, uh, not of green. All I know is crash plan. When I was using it, the only time I would get a notification. So it would pretty much work in the background and uh, like, you know, any tool that I, I'd like to use yeah. when it's working, it just works. And, and, you don't have to worry about it when something's wrong it'll notify you and and it did like i, I remember like when we had the uh you know sandy and all that that terrible stuff yeah. when you know none of my computers were backing up because there was no electricity and no internet um on my other devices it would actually send a little notification saying hey you know what i noticed i haven't seen you for a while Can, yep. you know what's up which to me that's an outstanding feature and that well, it knows only time machine had that <laughs> well it and yeah, and, and you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't nope. say, "Hey, I haven't backed up for a week. Uh, maybe something's wrong somewhere else. Can you look into it?" Whereas Crash Plan does. <laughs> yep. Yep. So there you go. All right. I have a. Uh, we have a question that's well, not really related to Crash Plan, but it's it's related to sending data securely, and uh, and it, it's sort of interesting how this came in, and then and then some other information came in, but we'll we'll. We'll answer the question. I have more information. I know. And I'm hoping you do because I don't quite have. I think <laughs> I have. Actually, I think now I do have an answer. Um, okay. So uh, Eric writes, he says, I am becoming increasingly interested in using FTP tools to transfer large amounts of data to other people. What Mac and or iOS apps do you recommend? What are some considerations with different options? And I asked him to go a little deeper into this because he, you know, it was very specific to ask about FTP uh, versus just sort of a generic thing. And so his answer was uh, a large, uh, he says, my objective or use case for this is to create a single connection session, unlike continually sharing a huge Dropbox folder filled with pictures between my Mac and another machine uh, in which I can securely transfer a ton of data. And he's saying, you know, greater than two gigs at a shot. Uh, Dropbox and other cloud services have nice share features, but at times I just want to send data that's not on my Dropbox, like a home movie file. In addition, my Dropbox account is only three gigs in size. My limited research indicates that security features can be weak in many protocols that I was cons uh, that I was uh, uh, checking out. My ideal solution would include a third party app that installs on both Mac and Windows. Encrypted transfer could be enabled as the connections are made. An iOS component would be great, too. All right, John. So uh, I like this question, but uh, but off the top of my head, I didn't have any straight answer. So I'm actually very curious as to what you have. And then we have something tangentially related that we'll talk oh. about. Too. <laughs> so the requirement here is to have a secure file transfer service. Well, FTP is swell, but here's the only problem. FTP is not secure. Correct. But you probably know, Dave, there is a secure version of FTP called mm -hmm. SFTP. Yeah, which actually isn't FTP anymore. It's it's just sending data over a secure shell connection, but it's called SFTP. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, but it deals well, with it differently. But that's what I was going to suggest. There you go. 
Now, you may ask yourself, is SFTP included in Mac OS X? Absolutely. And I think you almost answered the question, Dave, because I did find a swell article here. So one thing I'm going to suggest. So I found a nice nice article at uh, OS X Daily kind of going over this. And here's the bonus. If you have Mac OS X, you have an SFTP server, but it is hidden. Go. Now, the, the thing is, throughout the, the evolution of uh, Mac OS X, they started removing things. For example, there is no longer in the file sharing part. So if you go to system preferences, sharing. Right. You will no longer see FTP. It is not offered as an option. Now, there's a way to enable it, but... You know, you want to enable FTP. It's it's insecure. Wouldn't it be nice to enable SFTP? As a server. Yeah, of course. And how do you do this, Dave? Now, the thing is, when I look in the list of services I can share here. Oh, remote login. Uh, in the latest OS, there's DVD, uh, there's script, there's file sharing. But no, there, it doesn't list it. Uh, oh, but there's remote login. Yeah. And guess what? And this is what I found. And I found in this article, Dave, if you enable remote Login, which is normally SSH, you also enable an SFTP server that is built into Mac OS X. Well, it's the same server, right? It happens over over the SSH connection. Totally makes sense. So, okay, so exactly, and and to test this, and the article does this, and this is where I got all kind of giggly here is that yep. if you enable remote login and then you say SFTP in the terminal space uh, localhost or one twenty seven dot one. It'd be like, oh, hi, how's it going? Um, oh, yeah, there's a SRSA fingerprint. I'm not sure who you are. Are you sure you want to continue? That's basically the beginning of, of a secure uh, exchange. Uh, and that after you do that, as far as I know, Dave, you then have on that machine an SFTP server, and then you can do a SFTP client either you know, from the command line, which is unpleasant often, or the, the client that I still use, Dave, for a lot of file transfer is CyberDuck. And CyberDuck has a SFTP mode. Okay. That is my suggestion for a free built-in secure file transfer capability within at least the Mac. All right. Uh, So I'm going to poke some holes in this just to create some conversation here. Uh, It totally, you're absolutely right. And, and SFTP is a good protocol to use because it's on a proven platform. It's on, it's uh, an open source platform, which means we know that, the connection is actually secure and is not, you know, some third party hidden security that we don't actually know. And, you know, it's been vetted. So uh, and, it, and it's updated when there's problems found. So SFTP is good, but it comes with a couple of problems. Number one is uh, when you connect from, you know, your client Mac to the server Mac, how do you log in? Well, you have to log in using a user account that exists on that Mac. There's no way to say, like, right. if I want to let you log in. I have to either create an account for you or give you my credentials. Right. And then when you upload, you only have access to, you know, the, 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 the folders that are yours at your user account. So it would work, but it's non optimal for two friends that want to send a file. It's it's extra work. Yeah. It's not, it's not plug and play. It's not plug it. There you go. Thank you. So, so the the person setting up the server would have to do additional work to enable this and to create an account for the person who wants to get the stuff. I, I, I agree. Yep. And then the other thing is, you know, when you start your SFTP server on your Mac, it doesn't poke a hole in your firewall. So if someone remotely wants to, you know, if you want, like if I wanted you to get in, 
I'd have to go and create the right port mapping so that SFTP ports on the, you know, on the, on the router get routed to my Mac and, and all of that. Again, totally doable, totally sound uh, concept, but not entirely like you said, yeah. not plug and play. Okay. So uh, I don't, I, I really off the top of my head, I don't have a plug and play solution. I, you know, what I started thinking of is does transmit, manage any of this transmit from from panic software and it's a it's a client but i don't think it's a server so um it does not uh i don't i don't think i don't think it does it would be great if it did because uh because i i love panic and i, I and i love actually i do i love panic they make great software but i love transmit and we use it it's part of my workflow because it's apple scriptable uh, and it's got auto, it's actually automatable. So it, I use it as part of our workflow every week to upload the, uh, well, the podcast. You know, I'm looking at them and they say panic yeah. transmit the ultimate Mac OS 10 FTP and STP SFTP app. Yeah, but it's, it's client so it serve it. I don't oh, think okay. so. No, no. Uh, so, okay. So what else do we do? And I don't know the answer and I haven't looked in the, the chat room yet. Uh, okay. Kiwi Graham is saying, check out log me in. And that's actually not a bad idea. That might be a, a way I was thinking remote access, but that gets weird with windows and, and all of that. But you know, something that's already going to traverse the firewall, you, you know, and, um, and sort of do some of that work. The other would be, uh, I'm almost positive it does this, but team viewer, which okay. we talked about before team viewer is typically a remote access. Yep application which is almost plug and play and that the, there is a version i remember we, we talked about this before but they have an installer that basically starts their client brings it up and says okay here's some magic numbers tell the person at the other end to enter these and then you have remote control but also you can do file transfer and you it's can using, okay and it's using ftp so yeah team viewer um I remember trying it once for file transfer and it's like, oh yeah, it does that too. That's kind of cool. It's not its primary purpose, but a team viewer may be worth a look as well. Yep. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so that's, uh, uh, that's, that's that. Um, I'm busy editing our show notes and putting all this, this stuff in. John. Uh, well, no, it's not that, uh, <laughs> because there is another thing that, that sort of it's, we got a lot of email about this this week. Um, Pilot Pete, I think you were the first one to tell me about it, but I mean, it, it was of, of all the things we heard about this week, this was the one we heard about the most. And it's something uh, called uh, where I'm, I'm looking for it here. It's something called BitTorrent sync. And it, yeah. And I, you Aren't actually criminals. Oh no, no. BitTorrent BitTorrent just for bad people. <laughs> Not necessarily. Bad people use it a lot. I know. It's very handy. Um, to, to, well, it's, it's good technology that can be used for bad things. Yeah. But what they've done is they've created, um, using the BitTorrent tech uh, and file transfer protocols, they've, they've built this thing that's essentially like a Dropbox, right? Uh, if your Mac is on and my Mac is on, John, and we're both running the BitTorrent sync client, and we both have given each other access to this folder. And there's a, a easy process that you go through for each folder that you want to sync. It just magically will sync these folders between our two Macs securely. And, uh, and what's cool because you can create, like I can have uh we, you know, we, we set up our folder and I can create a key that 
you can use. And now the folder is, you know, totally fine, but you can have a read only key, a read, write key, and you can even have a temporary key. That's good for like 24 hours. So it's, um, it's good. It, it looks cool. I've, I've played with a little bit pilot Pete. Uh, and I, I, I guess I set up a folder for the three of us, John. I don't know if you'd put anything in it yet, but, uh, but it's interesting again. It's, you know, I, people are saying it's going to kill Dropbox. I'm not entirely convinced of that because it, yes, it works great, but it requires your computer to be on in order to get this data now, or one of the computers that's, that's in the, you know, that's sharing this one particular folder to be on uh, Dropbox, of course, has their own stuff in the cloud, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's very much in a test mode. Uh, it's available for free, but, uh, but you know, so there you go. BitTorrent sync. It's, uh, it's worth checking out. It looks cool. So that's not entirely what, what Eric's looking for because he didn't want something that just always shares, but there might be, this might be the simplest solution for you because you can just put something in, you you know, build a shared folder between you and whoever it is you want to send stuff to. You put something in that folder and boom, it automatically shares it with them. And you can just call them up and tell them, hey, this file's in your folder. Go drag it out. Go do whatever you want with it. And and you're good to go. So you don't, you know, it allows for asynchronous um, file transfers, which um, is a, a hugely convenient thing. So, so, you know, there you go. Bit torrent sync. What do you think, John? Yep. All right. Um, so I, I would have called that a cool stuff found thing if we were doing cool stuff found. And and while we're at it, I am going to throw in a cool stuff found thing, John, because I, I'm not going to wait on this one for the next show, uh, the next cool stuff found show we do. The um, you know, we were talking about uh, our using our cars, ODB ports uh, in various ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, this thing came out this week called automatic. It's at automatic.com and it's worth watching their little video. But the the concept is you plug this little device into your car's ODB port and it stays there full time. And it's, and and then you install an app on your iPhone and it's not out yet. It's coming out uh, late summer, early fall. Uh, But it, um, your iPhone syncs up with it and it does a couple of things uh, and it could wind up doing even more. First, it um, will mark your location when you, your phone will mark your location. And when you get out of the car, so you always know where you parked your car, uh, which, you know, handy little thing. But it also while you're driving, it monitors your driving and it can you can set it. You know, I want to be more economical and you can set it to give you little alerts, like when you're driving in a way that's burning more fuel or less fuel. And it's totally real time information being communicated to you can give you a little alert. Oh, don't accelerate so quickly. Don't do this, you know, and, and, and maybe you can even save some money. Right. <laughs> I, I, my son said it best. Virtual backseat driver. Well, also. yes. Right. But it, he, my son said it best when he said it's a Fitbit for your car. It's like, Oh, what a brilliant way to call, you know, what a brilliant way to kind of encapsulate that. Cause that's what it's doing. It's monitoring what you're doing all the time and then giving you some information. You do whatever you want with the information. But, you know, at least you're getting this, this data. And then also, if you've got like a, the, when the check engine light comes on, it'll translate what's going on and tell you specifically, here's the issue. And if you fix the issue, you can even use this thing to clear the check engine light on your own. And I think they're selling it for like 70 bucks. So cool stuff. Very, very cool. And a great domain name. I wonder what they paid for automatic.com. That would be a, an interesting little 
tidbit on the Can side. Can I get this or, or no, it's only for ODB? Check it out. It, they, they say that it'll work with every car f- since I think long before. Ni- yours. No, I see in our article. Yep. 1996. And what year is you your know, car? 94. Uh, so it has to be ODB 94. Yes. Got it. There was ODB 1, then 1.5, and 2, and 2 started in 96, so I was just a little bit behind the curve. Yep, yep. Though it has some capabilities. Oh, well. So. Yeah. So, cool stuff. Uh, what's happening here? I don't know what's happening here, John. What about Bob? Well, there's Bob. You want we can go to, we can I got go some Bob. thoughts on, on the Bobster. All right. I'll, I hope he doesn't mind that. <laughs> I think it's... Babarama. Bob. <laughs> making copies um, <laughs> Dave is of course referring to I think it was a was a joke uh, who, oh, who was the actor uh, Rob uh, SNL yeah it was on SNL yeah yeah no who was the guy was it was it um oh, I'm trying to remember the actor but yeah it was like making copies and a copier yeah copy Rama uh, I thought it was Joe something but yeah it'll come to me at some point I thought it was I thought his name was Rob something or else I don't know um Bob writes, you guys talk extensively about cloud storage and the security of files stored there. Do you have any recommendations for encryption apps or encrypted storage for sharing? It would be nice to have a password protected space or an encryption method that works on both Mac and windows and iOS. Uh, John, I serve this one up to you. Well, I'm going to have at least one view on this, Dave, here. So how do you store data securely in the cloud? Well, one thing I would recommend, which, you know, for people with uh, not a lot of money to spend here, which is something free, Dave, Yeah, is a secure disk image, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about that before. Will that work on That's Windows? Okay. Well, you're reading my mind here. Okay. So, so that yeah. is a great solution. So if you're talking an all Mac group here, then what you can do is this utility does allow you to create a secure or encrypted disk image. So that would certainly be one way to store your data securely in the cloud. Now, another one, Dave, and this is something that I have written an article about, but I found this to be good uh, depending on how you use it uh, will do cross-platform secure storage, and that is TrueCrypt. Mm. Remember, Dan? I do. Yeah. But one thing, and I actually remember doing this when I was testing it and, and, and kicking the tires on it, is that depending on the mode, I think what you have to do is you have to uh, choose a secure file option here. So they have a number of ways to, to secure your content here, but if you use their their program... Uh, the file that is encrypted, uh, last I looked at them, uh, is usable by multiple platforms. So it's a TrueCrypt is something to look at. And I'm not sure about, what's the other one I think Pete, uh, Pilot Pete uses it? Norton? I'm not sure if they, um, if their security software is... No, I think TrueCrypt was what Pete used. I think so. He's oh, okay. in the chat room. He'll tell us if we're, I think he's oh, good. in the chat room. Yeah, All yeah. right. But I think TrueCrypt is a good place to look. It's open source. Uh, it's it's a security software that lets you secure a partition. Or I think on the file level, I think that's the, the important thing here is that you can then go between platforms because the, the secure file is created by TrueCrypt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so that's that a smart my, thing because, yeah, because data, I mean, you use something like Dropbox, right? And the data is being sent securely and presumably and they're unclear on this but it 
probably being stored encrypted. But the key for that encryption for Dropbox, and the same is true currently anyway of SugarSync, uh, is that it, the key belongs to them. So they could unencrypt your data. I, I, you know, it's what I call secure until a subpoena, right? Um, although I I'm have a sure they all do this. So in theory, what they could do, Dave, is use your password uh, as the encryption key. But I yes. think what they do instead by default is they use their secret key Correct. to encrypt the content. So when they say they encrypt the content, they're, they're not misleading you. But as you say, if someone, you know, bangs on their door and says, well, we need to look at Dave Hamilton's, uh, you know, encrypted content, they'll be like, yeah, well, we got the key. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I will say, you know, I mentioned this to the folks. I, I have tried to talk to Dropbox about this and they're like totally lip shut about it, which is stupid. But uh, I talked to the people at SugarSync about it and they said they should be open about this discussion yeah. because it concerns a lot of people. Yeah. And they said they agreed 100 percent. They're like, you're absolutely right. We have the key. However, uh, and, and they, they said, you know, they sort of chuckled about my secure until a subpoena. They're like, that's actually a great way to say it. They said, but it's not just until a subpoena. It's until we lose the fight about the subpoena. They said we've gotten four of them. Now, this was as of March, I think um, they said we've gotten four of them. We have fought every one of those subpoenas. And in all four cases, th- no one has gotten access to the data. So. That was good to hear. I mean, it's no guarantees that they're going to, you know, f- fight and win on your behalf. But was not, you know, that's a nice little bit of customer service. So there you go. But if you store it on a TrueCrypt drive, sure enough, you know, SugarSync Dropbox could could unencrypt the data that you've sent them and find this secure th- this this disk image. But they couldn't get into that because they don't have your key. I, I hope that's clear. Mm-hmm. Right. And the best security, of course, Dave, as I've heard it <laughs> said by a lot of people, the most secure computer is one that is not connected to a network. Absolutely right. And don't laugh, but <laughs> no, that's how it works. I mean, yeah. And if you think the government doesn't know that, you know, you, you, you're wrong because they have plenty of data that's not connected uh, for exactly. That well, you probably saw the articles recently. It was like some FBI guy said, oh, yeah, we got recordings of all phone calls made in the U.S. If we wanted to get them, we could. Yeah. It's like, mm, all right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Who watches who watches the watchers, Dave? That's my question. I do. That's my it's oh, my secret good. job. Oh, <laughs> uh, what is next? I want it. You know, what's next who is, is next? I, that question reminds me. I want to find what. What I'm supposed to watch, right? I like the X Files. I, I totally this. I know this is a tangent, but I like the X Files. Loved that show, right? Then it got a little crazy mm-hmm. toward the end. It wasn't that great. Uh, and then Fringe took over, right? I mean, it, years well, later, same thing. Fringe was awesome, and then it got yeah, not it got so great towards the end. In right. my personal opinion, but it, but it fed that that one thing. So I guess you paranormal. and I have paranormal, yeah. paranormal or government conspiracy, yeah. TV show. We we need another one because yeah, I mean, they, they definitely were. There was the shadow government in X Files, right? And and Fringe as well. There yep. was this uh, part of the government that was working against whatever. Yeah. So we, we need to come up with another show. Maybe that's what we do, John. Maybe that's the next thing you and I do together. I mean, we won't stop Matt Geek Up. Don't worry, folks. But I think, well, John, well, you and I are going to have to write a TV. Well, you show. and I should get on the horn to JJ then, right? Now, forget JJ. He's he doesn't know how to above. kill anybody. He, people, what? people that he kills always come back me? to life. They always come back to life. That, that's my problem with J.J. Abrams. He can't. He can't we, kill or, people. Or Wheaton or just, uh, just, uh, yeah. Why do we have to call Joss. them? We do it ourselves. 
we'll we'll make the money crowdsource it that's it that's it we'll just organize it yeah we don't have, it doesn't have to be just ours we'll open open arms on this one we can we can do this maybe we'll even get the guys from no agenda in on it they're they, they're, they're tuned into this stuff so. all right anyway uh florist before we get too crazy here florist writes uh i have two macs a 2008 g5 and a 2011 imac both with updated mountain lion i don't think think your 2008's a G5 because it couldn't run Mountain Lion, right? Anyway, uh, he says, on my iMac, when I go to any file, that, that's a, what type of computer it is is irrelevant for this, by the way. Uh, on my iMac, when I go to any file in, my, in the Finder and right-click on it and go to the Share submenu, there is an email function. On my other computer, I do not have an email function. And he sent us a screenshot. And sure enough, it says, you know, message, Twitter, Facebook, Flickr, no email. Very frustrating. I've Googled it, tried a couple things like creating an automator workflow, but that's a hassle. I don't want to always drag the file to the mail app icon. Any ideas how to get it back? I know exactly how to get it back. I think I have exactly the answer, John. Really? I do. Yep. That's uh, amazing. Well, you know, sometimes every now and then, you know, we hit one out of but the that's a, now That's a fairly to, to review. That's a fairly recent menu, which is yeah. mirroring ios functionality and that a lot of ios messages if you click on a certain button will say hey you want to share it with iMessage, twitter facebook Flickr, all this stuff it's it's interesting the 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 parity that we're getting between the operating systems now with the share thing and i think it's pretty much even right now right yeah you might be right yeah yeah but i know the answer i know how to make this work uh how if you go into mail go to preferences and the first tab is the general tab and the first thing that's listed is the default email reader. My guess is that you installed some third party thing to check your email or something like that. And in order to get the share menu to show email, mail has to be listed by the system as the default email reader. And I bet if you go and turn that on or set it to that, that it, that it will be there. Now you may have some third party app again, like that Gmail checker thing or whatever that you set is the default so that it works in a different way. Uh, and you have, there's a trade off there. You've got to have mail as the default one. If you want this, so you get to pick, but that's 99% of the time. That's the solution to that little problem. It's weird what things rely, you know, how all the hooks work. That's what we're always looking for is the needle in the haystack. Right. So, and you know, I'm looking at this, Dave and oh my gosh. So number one, I've never clicked on this menu cause I never needed to, but number two, I'm looking here and almost all of the apps listed are parallels mappings. Oh, which actually is a minor minor fish shake that I have at Parallels and that uh, I'm sure yeah. I can turn it off. But Parallels will put Windows applications in a lot of Mac menus, which if you're big on Windows, Mac interoperability is great. But in this case, again, I'm seeing like 50 things listed here and only one of them is, is a Mac application. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I hate that too, actually. I love parallels, but I don't need it to infra I I keep my my parallels world separate from my Mac world and I don't need them overly integrated. I need to share files between them and pretty much, you know, stay out. That's kind of how I uh that's that's how I go. But uh mm -hmm. but yeah, I think you can turn that off. But by default it's on. It it you know plows all that stuff into your system. Uh, all right. Uh, John, we got a tip from show 446. In fact, we got a couple of tips, but, mm -hmm. but go ahead. And we talked about converting songs to MP3 format without having them clutter up the iTunes library, right? We were talking about uh, converting to MP3 so that we could put it on a 
you know, a, a flash drive to be used in the car or, or whatever. So, uh, but we got some, and we had some solutions and we, using third party apps and then, uh, and then we got some emails from people. So, uh, so take one of them. I think his name was Dave. Well, Dave, we have one from, from Dave. Hi, Dave and John. Dave says, <laughs> I think I got the right one here. Yeah, you thank you right so one. much for doing. Uh, thank you so much for doing what you do. You're welcome. I love the show and I've learned a lot over the years. I want to take a second chime in on the issue from 446 about converting AAC songs to MP3 for the car's hard drive and then dealing with the resulting duplicates. What I would suggest is to simply create a new smart playlist in iTunes with the following criteria. Date added is at least is in the last one day and kind contains MPEG. This will reveal the MP3s that were just created from the convert process. Select all and option delete to remove them from the library. Done. That's brilliant. It's great. Okay. But that right. I mean, because that way you don't need third party software. You're doing it. Uh, I will we had somebody on Twitter, Bill on Twitter, in fact, sent us what effectively is the same solution, but automated and pre-written for you. Uh, if you go to DougScripts.com and find the convert and export script, which, of course, we will put in the show notes, uh, that will do it will do the same thing. My guess is it does it in probably the same way, but it does it in an automated way. So you just run you highlight the songs, you run the script. And it does it and spits them out and then deletes them from iTunes. So, uh, so that's, you know, there you go. Right. Chew them up, spit them out. That's what we do. That's how we roll. And I think if, <laughs> if we're, if, if that's how we roll, I think it, it is time to, you know, to roll on out of here, John. Or rock. We like to rock. It's one of my favorite things to do. In fact, we like to roll, but we also like to do is to hear your comments, your questions, and your various, uh, you know, irrelevant uh, tangents. It's, <laughs> no, it's not that good. you have those, but that other guy or gal does. Yes. So, how do you get in touch with us? I would, hmm, you know, I'd probably pick up the phone and call 206-666-GEEK, which is... It is 4335. That's what I'd do. Or you could email us, feedback at MacGeekUp.com. And what Dave said was feedback at MacGeekUp.com. And if feedback at MacGeekUp.com is not the right thing for you, you can Skype us a voicemail too, as you might have guessed, MacGeekUp. But John, there's more. You can find us on Twitter. How? Where? What and do we if do? If you're on the Twitters, do you even know what Twitter is, people? If you don't, well, you go to Twitter.com. You can send messages. You can receive them. You can do both. It's amazing. And uh, you have, a, have to have a handle or ID on Twitter. I am John Efron. He is Dave Hamilton. The other guy who's flying around, but he's in the chat room, which is so awesome, is Pilot Pete on Twitter. Then we also have MacGeekGab and MacObserver all on Twitter. And you can join but us. There's uh, also the... Uh, I'm sorry, but the well, Facebooks. Yeah, go ahead and talk about the Facebook. That's fine. Well, the Facebook. Uh, just like the Twitters, we got the Facebooks. We have it all. And on Facebook, you go to facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. You can learn about when the next show is coming up, when the show notes are posted, and uh, just general discussion and banter among all the people that are part of the show. It's fun. It's great having all of you in the chat room. It's, it's, uh, 
It has changed the show. I think it's changed the show for all of us, the people in the chat room and the people not in the chat room, because what it provides is real time feedback uh, for things that would. Well, frankly, when we get something wrong, it's awesome to have the chat room because you're all right there and you tell us, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. When was the last time we got something wrong? I think it happens more than you might think, you know. But it's <laughs> nice having that, you know, especially with, with Pilot Pete's work schedule not allowing him to kind of be here as that, that sanity check of some of this stuff. It's nice to, to sort of crowdsource that. And it makes the show better because it means we don't have to wait a week to read the email and say, oh, yep, we got to, you know, offer this little tweak. And then it's not in context. And if somebody hears one show but not the follow up, you know, it, it, it makes it better. It's great. Uh, and it's fun, you know, so uh, so we appreciate it. You don't have to come. Uh, obviously, you can listen to the show uh, and, and most of you don't come to the chat room and that's okay but uh, yeah mackeycap.com slash stream but where uh, John, you should go John I will every now and then go ahead every now and then you probably should go to iTunes and go to MacGeekab and offer and comment we do like right. the, the positive comments there in iTunes yeah well, we like all the comments well, but everybody yeah. everybody likes positive comments yeah we do that's right well but you know here's the thing the positive comments actually help boost the rating of the show and it gets us featured more and that's always a good thing so we, we definitely appreciate that uh, and the negative causes us to uh, you know get a posse together to <laughs> kind of deal with the situation right yeah well look if you have a negative comment feel free to post it there but also we can't reply to you there and we often don't know who you are we can't right. figure that out so if you do have something uh, you know that you want to take up with us Email us directly so that we can actually interact with you and, and yeah. you know, and, and we've we've had some fish shakes. Oh, some we deserve some. Of course, I'm sure we deserve fish shakes. Not that's right, right? Uh, John, I, I do want to uh, before we wrap this up, I will I will yes. show you yet another benefit of the chat room uh, to turn off those things in parallels. Grumpy one fifteen says, go into parallels, go to the preferences, go to options, go to applications. And say turn off share apps, and that will keep. Those I knew things there from was something. Yep. It, it's certainly convenient, but yeah, it was overwhelming my system, especially um, for audio or video files. Yeah. When I was playing videos, it'd be like, yeah, you want to run QuickTime from Windows to play this, and I'm like, no. And sometimes I'd accidentally click on it, and then it would launch Parallels and launch QuickTime Player on Windows, which is silly if it's on my Mac. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. All right. And with that, it's time to uh, time to see this one off. Uh, we do first, though, want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and getappler.com. Uh, check that out if you haven't. Great way to track your, uh, your iOS apps that you own and also see what apps other people have that might have the same apps that you do and and uh, read reviews it's a it's a great little interactive community that uh, and it's actually not so little it's growing fairly well so check it out getapplr.com a p g e t a p p l r.com of course cashfly c a c h e f l y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you the podcast marketplace includes bb edit from barebones software Text Expander from Smile, Gazelle.com to sell your Macs and iOS devices, Squarespace.com, of course, and CrashPlan.com slash MGG, all through Backbeat Media. And I will share this one last thing with you. And uh, Really? Yeah, I will. You know, it's what we do. We share advice. 
and tips and tricks and cool stuff found. I did find one thing cool this week, John. It was uh, really important. Um, it was good advice. Don't get caught 